This is the 20 Minutes to Clarity podcast with Jason Noble. Advisory services offered through Prime Capital Investment Advisors, LLC, PCIA, a federally registered investment advisor, Overland Park, Kansas. The following or preceding commentaries and responses are the opinions of Jason Noble and his guests that are not necessarily the opinions of PCIA and are for informational and educational purposes only and are not and should not be considered investment advice. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, no guarantees expressed or implied. Welcome to the 20 Minutes to Clarity podcast with Jason Noble, featuring down-to-earth interviews with people like the professional athletes we work with, the closet millionaires, the enterprising entrepreneurs, and those we have the pleasure of calling clients and business partners. Each podcast focuses on candid, one-on-one conversations with incredible people who share their journey to success, including the mistakes they've made along the way, the hard work it took to grow their net worth, and relatable elements of their life stories that you won't hear anywhere else. Now, here's Jason Noble. It is my pleasure to introduce Jeff Thompson, president and partner at ATX Venture Partners based in Austin, Texas. Jeff is a seasoned executive leader, bringing deep capital markets and investment acumen from leading complex investment management and private banking businesses. His experience spans diverse geographies and broad cultural dynamics. Jeff has held executive leadership roles at Merrill Lynch, Smith Barney, Lake Mason, and most recently, Wells Fargo, where he led the deployment of over a $200 billion across multiple asset classes in both private and public market securities. Jeff has earned an Army ROTC scholarship, graduate from Pennsylvania State University. Upon graduation, he served as a captain in the 4th Infantry Division. Jeff earned an Army ROTC scholarship and graduated from Pennsylvania State University. Upon graduation, he served as a captain in the 4th Infantry Division and began his career in financial services in 1999. Jeff is on the board of the Kate Amato Foundation, whose mission is to find safer, smarter, and more effective treatments for children with cancer. He splits his time between Darien, Connecticut and Austin, Texas with his wife, Kathleen, and their daughter. First, thank you for your service to our great country, Jeff. It is an honor to speak with you, and I look forward to our conversation. Jason, uh, thank you very much, and thank you for having me this afternoon. I've been looking forward to this for quite some time. Absolutely, and it's just it's, a, it's such an amazing pleasure to work with you and ATX. So we're just going to jump right in. I wanted to start by asking you, what would you say makes you who you are as a person and as a professional? What makes me who I am? Well, it's uh, who I am, husband, father, and uh, we have a one and only daughter, and she actually just turned 18 last week. And so my wife and I are both happy and sad because uh, next year she'd be celebrating her birthday in college. And uh, so we're out of a, uh, an inflection point. But what grounds me, Jason, is a whole philosophy of family first. You know, family's my rock, and that's, that's the most important thing. And um, everything revolves around that from everything I've done in my life. And I think what makes me me uh, outside of genetics um, <laughs> is I have a, an insatiable curiosity. Uh, you know, I'm driven to learn, explore, uh, experience uh, different geographies and cultures. I've lived as a kid. I lived overseas. My dad was a military officer. And I moved my family from Austin to Montana to Manhattan, New York. Um, and I think uh, I have this maybe it's motivated by this deep rooted fear insecurity. I'm not sure which I'll go with fear uh, um, of being bored. Right. Uh, I'm worried if I become comfortable, I'll be static. Uh, 
and then be maybe be complacent and not want to experience new things. I kind of to bring it back to moving around a lot. Uh, when we move new places, we always do like the local touristy stuff first, and then because we want to get engaged in it. Think about uh, you know if you live next door to Disney World your whole life. You never go to Disney World because it's always there. So it's like experience the little local things, but also get out there. There's so many different people and cultures to meet, and uh, we're just not given enough time. So I try to maximize that time with my family and my my peers. Yeah, I love that. You got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Absolutely. Right, and always looking and and going down that path of curiosity for sure. And I I want to sometimes say, it you can get have- you in trouble too. Well, that's why the cat has nine lives, right? I love it. You got to keep on coming back and rejuvenating. That's right. I think I'm on like number eight right now. Well, we got to wrap you in bubble wrap and make sure you're safe. Yeah, right. right. But, you know, but you also have such amazing experiences within our awesome industry. What is driving your passion that leads you to doing what you're doing today, right now? You know, that's, uh, it's interesting because, uh, you know, you love, I always want to help people, right? And so if I go to take you back to college brief, I know I have like 20 minutes, but I went to school, uh, biology, kinesiology major, wanted to be a doctor. Well, uh, that was going all well and good until I hit the army and I realized I didn't like, like human blood. So I had to figure out something to do. And I always had a lifelong passion around investments and, uh, helping people. And so that's where, uh, uh, I got into this 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 career, frankly, a company, a great company called Merrill Lynch used to have a program where they recruit military officers and help them uh, transition to becoming financial advisors. And uh, the profession that you and your team are in, it's a noble profession because you are helping people. You're helping them with intangibles, dreams, and goals. And there's uh, there's tremendous value in that. So I'm so thankful for Merrill that had that program because honestly, uh, yeah, I grew up in a farm. The second half of the stock, I thought that was a cow or a pig. I didn't know what a bond was. Um, and uh, they had a great training program and really empowered us as uh, military leaders to make that transition. And I guess uh, <laughs> maybe the good or the bad of it, when I got my uh, my acceptance letter or, or my job offer from Maryland, um, it was wonderful. It was super exciting. I asked them, why would you hire me? Oh, well, that's a captain. You bring all these intangible skills, responsibility, discipline goal setting, honest, ethical, and oh, by the way, you're the, the easiest people to fire. I was like, what? <laughs> He's like, because we'll tell you to bring in $24 million your first year of production. If you're not on track, you'll come to us and say, I'm a no-go. I'm like, oh, is that a, a candid compliment? I don't know. But uh, uh, anyway, I, 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 that's how it began that journey uh, in financial services. It's been a wonderful career. Um helping people just like you in your practice, right? There's something rewarding in doing that. And while I loved the uh, investment side of it, uh, I missed um, some aspects of leadership and coaching. I love to coach and develop people. So that's my transition from being a producer to a, a, a manager, or if you say going to the dark side, if you will. And <laughs> I'd give up my book of business. And then my hardest job was to, being a producing branch man, because you can't satisfy, in my opinion, two constituents, the FAs that report to you and your own book of business. And while I never got an ethical dilemma, I felt that I have to choose one or the other. So I chose the investment uh, management uh, leadership path. And that career took me to earlier, literally from Montana to Manhattan. And uh, 
achieved what I wanted to do. I wanted to run a major financial business in New York City before I was 50. I did that at 46. Um, without no regrets and had a lot of wonderful experiences. And it was time to make a transition to where now I'm a, a partner with ATX Venture Partners. I'm going to work with people that I know, like, and trust uh, for a long time and an investor in the fund personally for a long time. And, and again, why we're, uh, we're innovating technology, we're investing in founders, again, people working with uh, advisors and their clients like yourself, again, as part of that overall asset allocation to you know, fill those buckets of goals and dreams and opportunities. And so it's very satisfying. It's really full circle. Um, and it's great to be uh, on a podcast with you. It kind of comes back to the roots of, of why and the passions really about yeah, it's it's, it's nice to have those reminders, right? It's nice to have those reminders and have this conversation from time to time. And I think I got to imagine you're meeting with business owners that had to go through a similar transition that you went through where they're running their business and they also have to run their people, manage their people, and then how to figure out how to do both and then scale it out, right? And, you can, right. and you're, you're working with them as they're in that inflection point. How do you work with the C-suite? so to speak, sure. to make that transition and to run their business more, more efficient. Well, that's, that's, that's a great uh, question because you know, what, why are we going to see some amazing cutting edge technology? And, and when we look at a, an opportunity, we look at the addressable market, product market fit, um, you know, et cetera, and then run one schematics and financials and things like that. But ultimately it, uh, it's really about the people as well. Um, the leadership team that we're investing our limited partners capital, right? We have a fiduciary responsibility as well, like you. Um, and part of our diligence is spending a lot of time on the people. Because I'd rather have a, how do I say this, uh, uh, a bad idea executed very well with great people rather than a great idea executed with bad people. Um, because the outcomes are exponentially different. The difference between a 2 or 3x return and a 10x return is execution in people. So uh, doing deep dive dog diagnostics on the leadership team, you know, besides the background checks and separates, um, have they have experience, time and game? Have they done this before? Have they taken outside capital? Are they able to push back on a board? They also are they able to accept constructive criticism and 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 coaching, right? Again, by that coaching and development. And, and also do they have a maturity of, to pivot, and a lot of times that comes down to, um, you know, may have a technical founder, a business founder, and the business may mature to a point where you have to pass lead to a new CEO to, to if he or she can take that company to the next level. That takes a, a, a deep amount of uh, maturity and, and foresight, and so really trying to dig into that. It's a, there's a science, it's more art, I would say, but again, People are your competitive advantage across the spectrum. So that's a huge area where I spend my time. Yeah, and as, as people maybe maybe have heard, people are already calling in, asking you questions. But here's the thing that I wanted to ask you, Jeff, on that, is that pivoting and transitioning. Um, you know, a lot of uh, business owners I work with, that's their baby, right? And then they want to have that, that business has to transition. Can you share a story with us about how you helped a business transition with their succession plan? Yeah, you know, I mean, there, there's, there's, gosh, there's always, I'm trying to think, because uh, there's so many, right? Um, I think part of it is a, a, a recent example where a company hit uh, was hitting crit critical mass. And again, let me back up for a little bit when we think about it. 
when we talk, when we invest in along the way, we talked about exit strategy, outcomes, defined outcomes, and those as things pivot, timelines change, and people change. And uh, conflict inevitably comes up. So to me, there's not a, uh, uh, you can over communicate uh, and it is, and with, you can't, you can solve any problem with cash and, uh, and communication. I don't have any more cash, let's over communicate, but also let's, let's understand what's where uh, things may, the, the wheel may be in the ditch, if you will. And that's really about, uh, Diversion, and it can be very personal, emotional when you have two partners to start them, but walking them through that and coaching them through that and asking, hey, um, is this the right pathway to maximize the exit that we talked about? And that sounds easy on the surface, a very <laughs> deep and tough emotional question. But at the end of the day, it's, it's um, we have to make the change, coach or evolve, manage up, manage out. And it's just a matter of engaging. And sometimes we're successful and sometimes we're not, right? Uh, um, cases where we're not successful. Again, we have where my minority uh, interest. We may not get all the rest of the board with us. Uh, that's the rarity, uh, but it does happen. Um, and that to me goes back to doing your due diligence with the people on the front end. It's all about communication and having what's the stated outcome, kind of like you sit with your clients and you talk about a goal and the markets go up and down. What's the money for, right? And keeping them, you know, moving forward or when things change, you get emotional. How do you stay the track or pivot, or pivot in a logic way, not an emotional way? So a lot of the coaching you do with your clients through these times, like now that you're experienced, I can only imagine the calls you're getting. Um, and, and uh, but that's a big part of this as well. Not, it's very similar. You bring up an interesting point. <clears throat> I like, I don't like, I don't hide behind any phone, right? I'm picking up the phone and calling my clients. So I'm being proactive. Absolutely. If I get a call from a client, I missed out, right? Cause I didn't anticipate that expectation or that need. Uh, but it comes back to communication and relationship and knowing what they're looking to accomplish. And that's what I picked up from what you just said. There was something that you said to uh, me uh, offline, right? But I'm going to bring it to the forefront, Jeff. I thought it was a very interesting thing that you said. You spent some time in Switzerland recently and uh, other European countries. And you mentioned that Europeans will look at portfolio allocation differently than what we do in the United States. So, how do they view it? And is there any takeaways that we could take away from and learn from on that? Yeah, and, and I want to make sure that it was a, uh, it was a bit of a generalized statement, Alva. It was. A very tight uh, sample. Uh, I'm sure you'll get some calls here. Like, Keith, and talk to all of you. There's 10 <laughs> analysts who disagree, which I'm sure there's a um, But, no, uh, it was very interesting to me because we're in Switzerland, which is a fabulous country. And if you ever have time to go for a holiday, do it. It's beautiful. People are amazing. It's just great, great country. And uh, we have several uh, investors uh, over there, and we started uh, branching out um, in our in our European platform. I was just in Singapore a few weeks ago doing the same thing. But as it relates to uh, – I was talking to a lot of the private bankers, not the big you know, bulge bracket UBS, and, and I, we love those bankers too. But these are some of the smaller ones, uh, independent, and uh, really understanding their approach to asset allocation – and I'm a big, a big surprise, Yale Endowment and stocks, bonds, cash, and alternatives and heavy dose of alternatives. And uh, what was interesting is uh, advisors said, yeah, we're 60, we, we really like the 60-40. I'm like, well, that's, you know, Markowitz is very great, love it. But I'm like, but he's like, our 60 is bonds. 
and the 40 stock. And I was like, interesting. And, and we talked about that. It's like, it's, it's worked for a long time. But I think also it's a reflection, again, this is a generalization of Swiss culture where failure is not an option. That's why they don't have a big you know, budding tech scene, but it also I think plays into uh, maybe some of the resistance uh, of looking at new ideas and innovation, but which I think in the long run can be damaging. Um, because I think as a, as a fiduciary, as an advisor to clients, um, you know, you don't want to diversify, you know, diversification, over diversify, diversify, if you will. But I think also having, you know, act exposure to stocks, bonds, cash, and alternatives, whether it's PE, venture, mezzanine, debt, real estate, et cetera, is critically important. And this is a fascinating conversation overall, Jason. Um, yeah. But I was taken aback because we think, you know, is such established banking and, and big you know, money center of the world, very, very conservative. And some might argue, hey, we have a ton of money. We don't need to risk it or anything like that. Like, we have an emotional diameter. I think it runs deeper than that. It's more of a cultural thing. And, and those things take a while to change, which is was very interesting and, and, and eye-opening for me, for sure. That said, we had a lot of great conversations with some investors who do uh, agree with uh, the Yale and Down Beer uh, model. Yeah, and, and this kind of leads me to a survey that was conducted by J.P. Morgan Asset Management, which shows a large dispersion within the venture capital markets versus the public market. And this is based off of the fund managers, okay? And with private markets becoming more of a regular conversation today with accredited investors along with qualified clients or even qualified purchasers, walk me through your personal experiences that led you to want to transition more from the public market to the private markets as a core part of your overall personal strategy? Sure. Well, yeah, that's, yeah, I see, I say personally a lot of inefficiencies in, in, in the public markets, right? We can talk passive acting, but overall, um, I think there's inefficiencies and in, in returns are subdued. And I think, uh, you know, I always ask as an advisor, I ask myself, you know, notwithstanding interest rates, inflation, asset class, you know, what's the money for, Right. And whatever those bullet points are, you make a bucket. So kids retire, education, 401k, retire, and then you look at timelines. Then within that, figure out with your advisor the different risk parameters as far as asset allocation. Now, I think it's very interesting, you know, uh, IRAs and 401ks. And what, I have to caveat this, well, of regulators. Um, that's the longest bucket of money people have. Right. When you think about it, it's, it can be 50, 40, 30, 20 years. And um, before, not too recently, we couldn't have access to alternatives in those from ERISA um, and then even so from a credit. Now we see some democratization. I think ultimately that should be like your biggest risk bucket in terms of time and the illiquidity premium because you have all that time and duration. Um, and that's where in your private equity, uh, you have, that's the, the illiquidity premium, you pay, get paid for the outsized alpha. And so I do think there's a lot of platforms now and RRAs, you can do that. But I still think a lot of uh, private investors, you know, don't take advantage of that within those unique structures. I think that's a huge opportunity. Um, and that's how I kind of look at my uh, portfolio. I break it down into buckets. Uh, like for, for cause, I could do a 529 or automotive, all great, there's some tax benefits for it, but I want to know 
that hell or high water, that money is there. And I know I'm going to lose money safely with inflation. I put it in CDs and a couple of boring bonds. I don't have to worry if my daughter's a sophomore, the stock market goes to hell in a handbasket. We can't afford the last semester of college. It's there uh, within you know, 10 or 20 grand. Um, so I kind of, that's how I look at things. And then and the risk premiums go up with my time horizon. I think ultimately uh, that's why they have great professionals like you and your team to, to help walk clients through those uh, tough conversations and, and fascinating conversations as well to really drill down much the money for and keep a, and, and you're right, the, the longer term illiquid uh, strategies tend to outperform the, pri- the public markets, but you have to take care of your liquidity needs first. Yep. I can agree more. And here's a question I'd love to ask. Jeff, if you could leave an impression with our listeners on creating wealth, what would that impression be? Oh, gosh. Um, I would say, well, uh, for fear of being redundant, uh, what's the money for? And then break it down. This is not only just investments, but also in my kind of rule of life is, uh, you know, always break every decision, every investment down to risk or gamble, right? Uh, a risk you can mitigate, a gamble you can't. If you gamble, you get wiped out, you can't recover, you and your family. So never gamble. Take smart risk, right? Um, and hedge it. And then you know, that simple exercise of what's the money for, put it in buckets, and um, don't gamble. <laughs> Jeff, I just, uh, it's an absolute p- a pleasure and honor to speak with you today. And I very much appreciate your insights on your experiences and thoughts on building wealth. If you're interested in learning more about private markets or about Jeff at ATX, please reach out, reach out to your prime capital investment advisor or go to PCIAWealth.com to schedule a meeting with that advisor. Listeners, this, that was Jeff Thompson, partner and president of ATX Venture Partners. Thank you for your clarity today, Jeff. Very much appreciate it. Jason, thanks so much. Had a blast and uh, hope your listeners enjoyed it.